Hi, this is Kevin Purcell. I'm the pastor at High Peak Baptist Church, and you're listening to Sermons at High Peak. Every year on Palm Sunday, High Peak Baptist Church celebrates the Lord's Supper as we kick off Holy Week. So on this particular week, I talk to our church about the meaning of the Lord's Supper. Every single church is expected and asked to participate in these two things. And that is to baptize new believers and to share in the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to do that this morning. And we're going to look at some reasons why we participate in the Lord's Supper, aside from the fact that it was commanded. So have your Bibles uh, open to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we will stand in honor of reading God's Word together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. And when you find it, please stand. This is Paul writing to the troubled church at Corinth. And he says to them in verse 23, in the New King James, he says, I, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take this, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Amen? You may be seated. In the Old Testament, the Jews celebrate an awful lot of different kinds of feast days. And one of those feast days was called the Feast of uh, Unleavened Bread or the Feast of Passover. They would gather together in their homes and they would have this celebration. And for them it was a look back to the time when Jesus brought them up out of Egypt in a miraculous way. And they celebrated it because they had cried out to the Lord for salvation. And He had sent a deliverer, Moses, who helped deliver them out of the the uh, slavery in Egypt. And so they were always looking back on it. But it's interesting that when Jesus did the exact same celebration with his disciples the night before he was crucified, it says that he gathered them together, he ate and he drank, and he looked forward. He looked forward to the coming day. But in doing this, he also had them say, look back. At that moment in his life, it was looking forward to something that would happen just a day later. Just within uh, less than the next 24 hours. In fact, you know, when sun had come down, gone down for them on that Thursday evening, in their mind it was the exact same day. And that's what it says on the same day that he was crucified. Because they celebrated at night and then in the morning they woke up and Jesus was put on a cross about nine in the morning and died about three. And he says, I want you to celebrate this for a few reasons. And the first reason is this, as a Thanksgiving feast. A Thanksgiving 
for what Christ has done for us. It says that Jesus gave thanks. Now that was part of the Passover meal and I could read off what they would say, but it'd be in Hebrew and none of you would understand it. And I'd actually wouldn't understand it unless I looked at the translation, but essentially it's them repeating over and over again in different ways and in many different times. Thank you. Thank you for what you have done. It was their Thanksgiving feast. They were thanking God for the Passover event. You know the Passover event, what happened on that day. If you don't, uh, you just uh, go look back to the beginning parts of Exodus, the first half of that book, describe it in perfect detail. And it talks about how they brought them up out of Egypt. They were slaves. And through 10 miracles, Different things happened. And that last miracle was the death of the firstborn son of everyone in Egypt. But God sent a warning. He said, if you sacrifice a lamb, then the angel of death who's going to come and take the firstborn in each household will be saved if you put that lamb's blood on the door of every single home. And word got out and people had the opportunity to be saved. They could be protected from it. But too many of the Egyptians didn't believe and so they weren't protected. You know, I've often wondered how many of the Jews didn't believe and weren't protect, protected. I guess it's possible that some were. We don't get word of that. But you know, Passover is an event and it's an important event. But sometimes we celebrate it during difficult times. And if you're going through difficult times, how easy is it for you to celebrate a Thanksgiving celebration? You know, for us, we have our Thanksgiving in the fall and they have their Thanksgiving in the spring. But do you feel thankful today? I heard the story of Avila Wozniaka. Uh, he told about, she told about her father's love of the Passover. She was a Jew and her father was a Jew who had survived Auschwitz during World War II. And he absolutely loved Passover because one of the things that reminded him of is his time in the concentration camp. Of course, you'd think, why would he want to remember that? And it's because he told her the story about how they would gather together and they would have evening meals. And sometimes those meals were nothing. There were days when they didn't even get anything to eat at all. But one of the most uh, coveted positions was to work in the camp's uh, kitchen. And for a few weeks leading up to Passover, the people who worked in the camp's kitchen would smuggle out a little extra. And of course they would keep marks on the walls. It's very difficult to know time when you know, you're in that sort of situation. Is today a Monday or Thursday? Is it uh, March or April? We don't know. And so they would secretly keep the calendar on the wall with little etchings and little markings. And when they got close to it, they would give word to those that were working in the kitchen and they'd start smuggling things out carefully and secretly. And then on the Thanksgiving, or then on their Passover, they would gather around in the barracks when all the guards had finally left and they were pretty sure they'd be uninterrupted for the rest of the night. And they would celebrate Passover. It was one of the few nights of joy in that terrible torture of Auschwitz. And he would celebrate it in the concentration camps. And she wrote this, she said, in Auschwitz, Passover was constituted, or also constituted a dream, the daring hope and aspiration of every Jew. How perfect a time for the Messiah to come. You see, we know that that's coming. That is something that will take place. And if you've put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, you've asked forgiveness for your sins. 
then you can celebrate a Thanksgiving feast today. Thankful that God has saved your soul, has changed your life. He's written your name down in the roll of heaven called the Lamb's Book of Life. And that when you die or he comes again, that you're there. Don't you want to serve a Lord like that who gives you that kind of grace? Don't you want to honor him in every moment and every day of your life? It's easy to be tempted not to do so. But this memorial or this feast rather is a time where we gather together and thank God for what he did. It's also, secondly, a fellowship feast. We gather together. See, the problem in the Corinthian church, they were a troubled church struggling to do it the right way. And one of the problems that they had with the the Lord's Supper celebration, is that they would gather at the homes of the wealthy and before the official service for the rest of the church, the rich people would gather all their friends first. And they would have a big scrumptious meal. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And then the poor folks in the church would be allowed to come next. And when Paul got word of that, he wrote very harshly in the letter, don't do that. When you celebrate it, wait until everyone arrives and then do it in unity, come together. See, I think that also teaches us today when we gather as a church, uh, this fellowship feast should be a fellowship feast in which we are unified. Too many times churches have had division. And if it isn't division amongst the entire congregation where one half is uh, supportive of one idea and the other half wants to do things a different way and they're at war with one another, it may not be that always, but it might be just one individual who doesn't get along with another. And if we have the, any kind of division, any kind of lack of fellowship, then we're not worthy participate, to participate in the Lord's Supper. Because Paul says, do it together in unity and in harmony. Harmony. The third thing we find out about this feast is, is also is a memorial feast. That's probably the one we remember the most. And it's probably because Paul repeated it over and over again because Jesus repeated it over and over again. What did he say? Do this in remembrance of me. You know, a powerful ruler once built a great big palace. And among the rooms, there was one small room right off the chamber of his, uh, his throne room. And he kept it locked all the time. And no one, not even his trusted servants, were, was allowed to even look into it. He was the only person allowed in that chamber. And every day when he would come and he would sit on his throne and have judgment over the people, before he did that, he'd come a little early. He would unlock that room and he'd go in and lock it back and stay for a minute or two. Before then, he would finally come out, sit on his throne and have judgment in the matters of state. Well, the servants were kind of confused what is going on. And finally, one of them, it got the best of them and they couldn't wait any longer. And after years of service in the king's palace, he finally just decided, that's it. I need to, to take a look. And so he snuck a peek. He picked the lock when the king wasn't around and he looked inside and guess what he found? Almost nothing. Some people had thought it was where he stashed his greatest values, valuables like silver and gold and jewels and things. And he would maybe go in there and, and remind himself how powerful it was and how rich he was. And that wasn't it. Others maybe thought it was a place where he'd go and meditate. And so, you know, maybe that's what it was. Maybe it had the symbols of his faith and that wasn't it. What that servant found as he trespassed in that secret room 
was a humble shepherd's robe. You see, the king, before he had sat on the throne and before his family had taken the throne away from a competing family, he was a poor, humble shepherd. And every day he'd be out in the flocks praying to God to make his life better. And when it finally happened, and finally after his father's death and he sat on the throne, he cleared out a room just off that chambers and he put in the robe that he wore as a shepherd. And every day he went into that room, that room to remember where he had come from, his humble beginnings, so that when he sat in judgment over the subject of his nation, he would always realize, I may be powerful today, I may be wealthy today, but I once was just a humble little shepherd just like them. As I think about that story, I think, you know, Jesus had the same story. He came to this earth and was born as a humble being and lived just like we did if we were alive back then. None of us in this room are necessarily incredibly wealthy, but you know, maybe some are, but our nation, we're wealthier than the most of the world. But Jesus lived like a pauper, like a nothing, and he died a criminal's death. But if anybody in the world deserved to have proud arrogance over everyone, it was Jesus. But instead he had humble service, service as his attitude. And so at the end of verse 24, he tells us, do this in remembrance of me. This is kind of like our room off the chamber that we get together and take a look at what Jesus did for us as we celebrate it and remind ourselves where we once were, sinners without any hope of salvation. And there was only one person who loved us enough to be willing to die. And it reminds us of that. And as we remembered of that and we partake of that, it's also the next thing, it's a proclamation feast. It's a, it's a time for us to shout to the whole world what Jesus has done for me. Verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. See, we take part in the Lord's Supper to proclaim, first of all, our allegiance to the Lord. Now, we have on either side here, we have flags that we pledge allegiance to. And if I picked up the flag and I put it out and asked you all to stand, uh, probably most, if not everybody in this room, would be able to recite by heart the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. But when we participate in the Lord's Supper, it's sort of like our Pledge of Allegiance that we publicly state to everyone that God is my Savior. His Son died for my sins. His Holy Spirit lives within my heart. And I look forward to the day when He takes me back to heaven. Because we walk around almost in a uniform of our faith. And that is by our works. The things that we do to bring honor to Christ. You know, soldiers, when they go into battle, what do they wear? On the sleeve of their uniform, they wear the flag of the United States. Sometimes you see police officers and they have a flag of the United States. It's their public display that they are serving under the authority of this wonderful nation that we live in. Well, even greater is the kingdom of God that we live under. And so the Lord's Supper is part of that proclamation. But it's not just of what he did in the past and what he's doing for me right now, but it's also a proclamation of what we believe to come as a future. It says, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. 
It's a proclamation of our trust that Jesus is coming back. He didn't just leave us high and dry. He didn't just leave us here without any uh, guidance or direction. He sent His Holy Spirit to seal our soul for all eternity and to guide us to live in this life the way we are supposed to live. And it's that proclamation to the whole world that He's coming again. And the last thing, and probably the most important reason why I think Jesus gave us this for our daily lives as Christians is it's an examination feast. As a child, I remember I attended a Christian church. We weren't Baptists during that time. And they had the Lord's Supper every single week. And my mom loved this. She absolutely loved the Lord's Supper. You know, and the Bible does say that they did. Every time they came together, they had the Lord's Supper. Now that was a description and not a prescription. It didn't command us to do it every time necessarily. But, but I, I think that maybe we uh, don't do it enough, but they did it, in my opinion, too much because it began to lose its value and excitement. And so it came sort of ordinary and trite. But they did it every single time. And so they would hand it out and... You know, we would partake of it, and it was just kind of a, a part of what we did. But, you know, I heard about a church that did it just once a month. And so on that day, they also would take two offerings. And they would have their regular church offering. You know, they'd pay the light bill and pay the preacher and all that kind of stuff. And then after they took the Lord's Supper, they would take a special offering. And that money was put into a pool for people in need. They would give it to homeless people or to sick people or give it to people who uh, struggled with their bills, that kind of thing. Sort of a, a benevolence fund, as they called it. And so that's what the purpose of it was. Well, one person who was writing about this said that his family would always give to both. He was brought up in that church and every single time when they did that on the first Sunday of the month, his dad would always give to both offerings as the church hoped that people would do. And on this particular Sunday, when he had gotten a little bit older and started to be a little more interested in what was going on, the father pulled out a dime and handed it to him. And uh, then the communion came and they would all walk forward in order to partake of the communion. Well, his parents got up. They were getting ready to go forward. And just then, their son, the man who was writing this story, tugged on his dad's jacket and said, Dad, that's okay. You don't have to take it for me. I, I already paid, or we already paid for it. We don't, I just messed that all up. Sorry about that. <laughs> he said, Dad, you can't take it. You haven't been baptized yet, he said to the son who wanted to partake of the Lord's Supper. And the kid said, yes, I can. I've already paid for it. Because he had already put in his dime into the offering plate. See, the Lord's Supper is an examination feast. It's a time when we should look at it. And one of the things that we do, even though I totally messed up that whole joke, is that it's something we do after we get saved. You might be here today and maybe you've never been baptized. And if you've never been baptized, God bless you, we'd love to do so. We'd love to give you a chance to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And now is a time, now is a great time for you to examine your heart. To look inside and say, where are you at in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know that you're a sinner? The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you can be forgiven. 
And when you're forgiven, what we do is we baptize people who ask for Jesus to forgive them and they give their life to him. And that baptism, which is the other great command and the other great tradition of the church, we do that as a public way of saying what Jesus has done privately in our hearts. But you know, a lot of you, even though you've been baptized, you're still not eligible to partake of the Lord's Supper until you examine your heart. It's time for us to have an examination. Because as this passage says to us that if we eat and drink in an unworthy manner, what does that mean? It means that you're not right with the Lord. There's unrepentant sin in your life. You've, you've not asked forgiveness for everything you've done. And more than that, you've not committed to try to stop the sin. Oh, it's easy to ask forgiveness. It's like a, when a parent tells their two children that have been fighting with one another, say you're sorry. And they say they're sorry, but what's going on in their mind is, I'm going to get you later after mom's gone. And see, that's the way we act sometimes as Christians. We, we come to church and we say we're sorry in the moment, but then we go into the rest of our life and we say, yeah, but when none of these other Christians are looking, I'm going to go right back into my sin. Well, folks, if that's you, you're not worthy to participate in the Lord's Supper until you sincerely ask forgiveness for your sins and ask God to help you to repent, to change your life, to go in a new direction. And then you are worthy, not because of your own goodness, but because of, as that old song says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Are you ready? Are you able? When we take the Lord's Supper, you are willing, and then you are worthy if you've been saved, if you've been baptized, and if you're in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I hate going to the doctor. And maybe the thing I hate going to the doctor worse is I hate going to the dentist. <laughs> and when you go to the doctor and the dentist, what do they always have to do? They always have to examine you. They have to figure it out. Where are you at? What's your health like right now? Is there some problem? Is there some illness or sickness or disease or injury? Or is there some habit in your life that's causing you to, to be unhealthy? And so you go through that process. I remember a few years ago and I went to the doctor and I needed a root canal. It was causing problems. Some of you remember when I was getting dizzy all the time and you say, well, you act like you're dizzy all the time now. But no, I mean, I was literally getting dizzy. And one Sunday night, I couldn't even finish the service because I was so bad off and I had dizziness that was causing vertigo. And it was something that was started because of the infection in the tooth. So I got a root canal and I'd go and I'd get, he'd drill on me a little bit and he'd see it and he'd put a little medicine down in there and put a temporary filling and he would say, okay, we're going to give you some medicine, uh, come back in about one month and then we'll do the actual root canal. Well, I'd take the medicine and I'd think everything would be all right and I'd come back in a month and he'd examine me again. He'd take out that temporary filling and he'd, guess what he'd find? There'd still be a little bit of infection in that too. We thought, what's going on? And this went on for months. And it was about the same time that I discovered that I was a diabetic. And as a result of being a diabetic, those of you who are know that you're more susceptible to infections and that that's what was going on. My sugar was out of control. And it wasn't until I got it under control a little bit that, uh, that he was finally able to do that root canal. If it hadn't been for that examination, maybe I never would have found this more serious problem in my life. And you know what? 
It's the same with your spiritual life. If you hadn't come today on the day that we participate in this examination feast, where we also celebrate what Jesus did for us. And so therefore, as a result, we are proclaiming what he did for us. And we are also remembering what he did for us. We are doing so together and hopefully in harmony and unity. And we are doing so as an act of thanksgiving. And when we do all of this together, you here today might need to repent. There might needs to be a cleansing in your life, a commitment, a recommitment to Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to ask you right now, if you would, just to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to give you that opportunity right now, privately, before the Lord. Let me ask you this question. Would you say that there's sin in your life? May the Holy Spirit grant you understanding and wisdom of that right now so that you can answer that question as if Jesus was asking it to you. Is there sin in your life that you have not asked forgiveness for or you have not repented of? You know, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. A moment ago, I briefly shared that we are all sinners, that Christ came and wanted to die for your sin. He took the punishment that you and I deserve because the punishment for sin is death. Maybe you won't die the minute you sin, but when you do die, you'll spend an eternity separated with, from God in a place called hell. God made that place for Satan and his demons, not for any of his created people. And so do you need forgiveness and grace so that you can live with him in heaven for all eternity and you can live for him until that day happens, until you go to heaven? I also want to ask you if you have asked forgiveness, but maybe sin has crept into your life. You know, the Bible teaches us, it gives us the 10 commandments. It says there's to be no other gods before you. Do you have another God in your life? I'm not talking about a, a physical idol or a Buddha or something that you bow before, but it might be a relationship that's more important to you than Jesus. It might be your job that's more important to you. It might be leisure and relaxation act activities and might be uh, entertainment that's more important to you. I thought about this. I said, thought this morning, if you are looking for excuses to not come to church today, instead of looking for reasons to come, even if it's hard, if you're looking for excuses not to come, you've got a problem. There's some other God in your life. He also said not to have idols, that is to put things ahead of God. He said to not take the name of the Lord in vain. That's not just cussing, using uh, the name of God along with profanity. That's also uh, taking God's name and, and making it less valuable in your life, less important. Remember the Jews wouldn't even say the name of God. Sometimes I wonder if we should get back to that. What about the Sabbath day? The Sabbath day for Jews was from sun up, sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. But we worship and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Sunday. Is that a special and important day to you? Or is it just another day? How about this? Do you live to honor your parents? Not just by being nice to them or obeying them when you were young, but do you live every day? hoping that people who meet you will say, boy, he, he had a really good upbringing or she had a really good upbringing. 
What great parents that taught him to love the Lord. I know there's probably nobody here that's committed actual physical murder. But Jesus said, if you have hate in your heart, that that's the same. I don't know if anybody here has ever committed adultery, but Jesus said, if you have lust for someone, that that's the same. You know, you maybe didn't steal anything, but if you have an incredible desire for what doesn't belong to you, then that's the same. The Bible says we're not supposed to lie or tell bad things about our neighbors that aren't true. And then he says coveting. Coveting is not just desiring things that other people own, but it's not being satisfied with what God has given you. As I have mentioned those things, those 10 commandments, is there something you need to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell. You've been listening to sermons at High Peak. We hope that you are benefiting from listening to these sermons. If you ever need to get in contact with me, feel free to do so at my email address, which is pastor at highpeakchurch.com. You can also find us at highpeakchurch.com as well as on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter using High Peak Church. 